Mark 1, 35 through 38. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And we ask that you would give us by your spirit's enabling. That you would give us eyes to see ears that are open hearts, hearts that are softened to your touch, that you would free us from distraction, from anxiety, from worry. Would you free us, O Lord, to hear you? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, today, would you speak? Speak, God. Father, please speak. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. It is Reformation Sunday. Despite my best efforts of trying to coach my kids up, they still call it Halloween. The power of culture. Just kidding. I'm not, I'm not that bitter about it. Just a little bitter about it. Um, but it did. The, the Protestant Reformation was a big bundle of complicated things that led up to it. Complicated things that flowed out of it. And this is not a, uh, a lecture on the Reformation. Uh, but Tony laid out some of the, some of the bare bones bits of it. Uh, but Martin Luther, who, is, who Lutheranism is known for, the Lutheranism of today is very, mostly very different than the Lutheranism of Martin Luther. But that's another conversation. Uh, there are many faithful Lutherans. There are some who have just departed, uh, just like any other denomination. Uh, anyways, uh, but Luther was a monk. He was an Augustinian monk, and he was, and as such, he was given to a life of asceticism, of self-denial. And he felt almost a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist today would have a field day with Martin Luther, but by, by how much guilt and crippling shame he would have from the sins in his life. So much so that his, uh, his, whoever was over him at, at the monastery that he would yield his confessions to had to tell him, Martin, you've got to chill out. I mean, it was in German in the, you know, a long time ago, uh, 1400s, 1500s. They, but Martin, you've got to calm down. Uh, you're you're taking the, almost taking this too seriously. He would stay up and he would get so frail. He wouldn't eat and he would fast and he would pray. And, and he, he felt such a burden from his sin. And it was on a pilgrimage to Rome where he went. He's a, he's a Roman Catholic monk, an Augustinian monk. And he went on a pilgrimage to Rome. And there's a, there's a certain set of steps there. And I, I can't remember the name of them. Church historians in the room or elsewhere are probably laughing at me. But uh, that... He would, he would, you would go up and, and if you, and if you made it a certain way up the stairs, if you sort of, if you prayed your way up the steps, then you would be able to earn some merit in your spiritual bank account, so to speak, and therefore be on a, a greater likelihood in that system, um, in medieval Roman Catholic 
Roman Catholicism, you would would be on a better trajectory not to spend time in purgatory, but to actually go to paradise or go to heaven after you die. And it was while he was in Rome that that Martin Luther was exposed to the the vanity and the uh, incompetence of such a system to actually provide any sort of assurance. This man who was crippled in his sins, who was so aware, so aware, of his own sinfulness before a holy God, he found no comfort for his soul in a religion that told him, you can do it, try harder, do better, you can buy your way even in. One of the things that sparked off the 95 theses nailed there at the Wittenberg Castle Church door in Germany was the sale of indulgences. And indulgences were where a man named, uh, there were many, many sellers of indulgences, but the, the, the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church at the time would send out these, basically they were salesmen who would go around and go to towns and say, you can pay for your loved one to get out of purgatory and go to heaven. If you give enough so that, give enough to the church as an indulgence, we will give you this certificate saying you've knocked 99 years off of Uncle Bill's stay in purgatory. Now that sounds silly to us, but it was along those lines that Martin Luther became enraged. All of these things flowed together. The ineptitude to provide any sort of assurance of the false gospel of merit that you can do enough. But all the while, Luther is seeking. He's pursuing, how can he be right with God? How can I know that God, that I'm on, on good terms with the creator of the universe? How can I know that my sins are done away with? If the only thing that I have to look to is my record, my goodness, my, how much I've given, my life of asceticism, of giving away things to be a monk, then I have no hope. Because he knew it and you know it the very next day. 15 minutes later, 15 seconds later, he'd fall into some sin or something would creep into his mind. But he was pursuing. And God would eventually meet Luther. But the 95 Theses almost uniformly deal with this idea of indulgences. Of buying people out of purgatory, basically. Uh, And it was a marketing scheme so that they could build uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Neither here nor there. I'm not intending to be derogatory. I'm just trying to lay these things out. These things sparked the Protestant Reformation. And what the 95 Theses were, and I need to get off the subject before I do turn, the, turn this into a Reformation lecture and just run, chase this rabbit out the room. Uh, but they, it was intended to be bulletin board material. It was intended to, to invite a conversation about these things. Um, But what it did is that many people began to want Luther's head on a platter. So this idea that he is searching, he was searching to be right with God. There was something in him that longed to be right with God. And so that the Reformation, uh, it, it went along with getting the scriptures into the hands of regular people. But it was a recovery of the gospel itself. That the gospel of merit... And what I mean by merit is that you can be good enough to accrue enough merit in your spiritual bank account to be right with God. That if you give enough, if you show up enough, if you say enough prayers, enough 
our fathers or Hail Marys or whatever kind of prayer, pray the Lord's Prayer enough, then therefore God is going to bestow upon you because of your goodness and because of your greatness, He's going to bestow upon you spiritual life and eternal life with Him in glory. That's a false gospel that we love to believe because we want law. We want to be able to say we did it ourselves. Look at what I've done. This is what we do in America. Look at what I've built. Look at, all, look at, my, look at my collection of tinkerbots or motorcycles or little plates on the wall. Or whatever. Look at what we've done. And the gospel says, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, all of that done outside of faith in Jesus Christ is actually detrimental to your spiritual life. It's actually detrimental to eternal life. The prophet Isaiah calls it filthy rags. Any righteousness that we would try to accomplish on our own is actually filthy rags. It doesn't get us where we want to go. See, the gospel is not try harder, do do better. The gospel is done in Jesus. It's not do, 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 do. It is done. And the summons to us now isn't climb the ladder of salvation. Do everything you can to be as good as you can so that you can get into glory. The message of salvation is submit to the Savior that God has given. And what you find is that that message of grace saying it's already done for you. You just have to trust him. That's more offensive sinful, fleshly hearts than a message of do better, try harder. But dear ones, that's the message that you need today. Is that Christ has done it. And so the Reformation was that you are justified. The recovery of the gospel of justification, you are justified. You are made righteous before God. By grace alone, it's of God's initiation. By faith alone, it's simply by trusting in Him. And in Christ alone, He is the object of our faith. To God only be the glory. See, the true gospel is one that gives no glory to men or women. It's the gospel that is only of the glory of God of what He has accomplished in Jesus. And that is the Jesus that you are called to trust and to obey to yield your life unto and to go along with our message today, this is the Christ that you are called to seek after. That you are to pursue. Whether you realize the graveness of your sin or not, whether you are in the boat of dealing with shame and guilt like Martin Luther, very few are. Most people in our world today think very little of sin. And I think that's part of the the fiendish attempts of the adversary in our culture. But the gospel begins not with our doings, it begins with the doings of the triune God. And that's imaged for us in verse 35. You're thinking the Trinity isn't there, but yes and no. In rising very early in the morning, why on earth would you rise early in the morning? Because you want it. Because you want it. Whatever it is that you're looking after. Why do athletes and people rise early in the morning? Because they want to get better. They want to try harder. They want to do better. Why do you rise early in the morning? Maybe you have to for work. 
But Jesus rises early in the morning to be by himself with his father. The gospel is a product of father, son, spirit. God in eternity past planned to save sinners by sending Christ to die for them. But Jesus seeks his father. He seeks his father in prayer. He rises early so that he can be, you know, right? remember where we just were. He, is, he was in the house um, of Simon's mother-in-law. And then all of these people, after, after the Sabbath day broke, he, they came to the open door to be healed and remedied by Christ and by Christ alone. The crowds had swarmed upon him. And finally, darkness and weariness drove them away. And now he has a moment of peace. And in his moment of peace, so that he can commune and have this relationship with his father, he dips away from the house. He knows that soon people are going to be waking up. And as soon as people wake up, you're going to have needy people seeking after Jesus. So he needs the father. He needs to be with the father. And so the first point is that the product of the gospel, the gospel, excuse me, is the product of God's initiation. Jesus came with a mission. He came on purpose. This is not just a Galilean random guy who the scriptures write about. This is the son of God and the son of man who has come to save sinners. But the second thing is, do you want God this much? Christian in the room. Truster of Christ. Do you want God this much? Are you like the psalmist who says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs for you, my God. Is it an inconvenience to come to God in prayer? Is it inconvenient to come to God in His Word? Contemplate the silliness of our comfort and complacency with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Robert Murray McShane, who crafted or put together our, the reading plan that we're following as a church, the McShane reading plan, he said this in his journal once. He said, Rose early to seek God and found him whom my soul loveth. Who would not rise early to meet such company? Who would not rise early to meet such company? Now, I'm not saying that if you don't wake up early, that you're not somehow like spiritual, you're not trusting in Jesus. But are you seeking him? Is there a time in your life? Is there a time daily where you are wherever? I know it's crazy. All right. I have three children now, five and under. I know Fully aware that life is nuts and you have very precious time, many of us, to ourselves. So I have a sliver of time very early in the morning. It doesn't always work out because they'll start popping up. If I turn on the light in our living room, all of my children who can get out of bed will get out of bed. James Allen is currently behind bars still, so he can't get out yet. Um, But Evelyn May and Henry are going to come out as soon as they see that light. It's four o'clock, three o'clock, two o'clock, the light's on, they're going to notice, they're going to come out. So I literally, and this is not, I'm not saying, hey, look how great I am. This is what I have to do. I go to my chair in the morning and I have a a headlamp (laughs) 
Legit, you can. Sarabeth's here. I have a headlamp, and I will read my Bible, write in my journal, and pray with a headlamp on every morning. I look like I'm cave diving, spelunking. You do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. So that that's my time. I can't. I don't have another good spot in the house right now. So that's where I go. That's what I do. For some of you, the mornings is not going to work. You have responsibilities or your schedule is so crazy. And, but, but there's other times. And even if it isn't for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes or an hour or whatever, you can have blips of time throughout your day set somewhere apart in your regular day life. So if you go to work every week or every day, now COVID has jacked that up, so maybe you just stay at home. Um, but designate a spot saying, I'm going to go there. 30 seconds, I'm going to say, God, I need you. Will you leave me? Would you help me through this stressful situation? Whatever it is, just just commune with God for a second. But seek him. Seek him diligently. Seek him earnestly. For one, God has sought you in Jesus. Two, Jesus seeks the Father. If Jesus, the Son of God, who is who is the Son of God, He is the eternal Word of God, if He deems it necessary to wake up early, to climb some mountain, to pray to God the Father, do you think you don't need that too? All right. So He's praying there. And Simon and those who are with Him, this is a wonderful, interesting dynamic in 36 and 37. Simon and those who are with Him searched for Him. The verb there, search, is singular. So that Simon is the one searching for Jesus, and there are some who come along with him. Now, I want to say something special to men who lead families. Men who are presently leading families. You have a wife. You either maybe have children yet. Maybe you don't have children yet. Maybe you're about to get married. Maybe you're older and you're whatever. Men who are leading a family. Be like Simon and search for Jesus. Seek him out. Be a man of God who longs to be in the presence of Jesus. And you will inevitably bring people with you. You will inevitably bring your wife and your children with you. I'm not saying they're going to automatically want to do that. Or that they're automatically going to be believers or anything. But you're going to be regularly bringing them. and They're going to see it in you. You're going to be praying like you're seeking Jesus. You're going to be parenting like you're seeking Jesus. You're going to be loving your wives as you're seeking Jesus. And I could go down and you could say that for mothers and for children. You could say that in your workplace. But as you pursue Jesus, inevitably, some people are going to get caught up in the, in the tailspin. And they're going to be brought into an encounter with the living God. They're going to be brought into the very presence of God because you are the temple of God. So as you live for Jesus, as you seek Jesus, maybe it's your financial advisor who doesn't know the Lord. I don't have one of those, but I, I hear people do. <laughs> maybe you're a financial advisor and, and they see how you spend your money, what you give to, what you designated for charitable givings and for your tithes at the church. And they're saying, why on earth would you do that? You're bringing them in. In your pursuit for Jesus. But this word, Peter searched for Christ, it, it, it is a diligent hunting down. There is a diligence here that, that's seen in Simon. 
So Simon is looking for Jesus. He finally wakes up and he sees that Jesus isn't there on the, the futon anymore. And he decides that he, he's not really a futon, but he, he's going to look for him. So he goes and climbs to the same de- desolate place and he finds Christ. But it should be contrasted between the Simon with those who are with him who search for Jesus and find him. And this nebulous everyone is looking. It's two different words. Both of them mean to search and to look, but one of them has a diligent component. When it says Simon searched for Jesus, he was doing so diligently, leaving no no stone uncovered, no rocky crevice unlooked at. He was looking for Christ and he would not stop until he found him. And then compare that to the rest of the crowds who were like, who were standing where they were standing, maybe outside the door or maybe where they last saw Jesus. And they're looking around saying, where is he? There is a difference between trying to be where you are right now, stuck where you are right now, saying, I'm looking for Jesus. There's a difference between that sort of passive looking for Christ and the proactive search that you see in Simon. So maybe it is that maybe you are a Christian. Your spiritual life isn't what you want it to be. Maybe, maybe your, your prayer life is kind of dull. Maybe reading the Bible is kind of bleh if you do it at all. Maybe you don't. But what might a proactive search for Jesus look like in your life today? What would it look like if you took out a couple hours... And you went to that desolate place and you say, Lord, I want to hear you in your word. What would that look like? I met a pastor recently. It's not me. This is not like 2 Corinthians 12, like Paul talks in the third person. This, this is a different pastor. And he went through some really difficult times. He had tried to plant a church and he was on staff of the church and he got sent out to plant a church. And whenever you go out, whether you're planting a church or you're, you're fresh into, into ministry, you always think that you're going you're gonna to be the one who does it and figures it out and succeeds. Well, his church plant just crashed and burned. It just didn't succeed. It just didn't, didn't take root. It didn't grow. It didn't, and so they had to pack it up. And he began this process or this rhythm in his life where every Tuesday he would go out into the woods with his Bible and his journal and he would pray. That he would seek the Lord every Tuesday morning. For however many hours, he would walk out, just he and God. And now he's pastoring a, a healthy, missional, growing church. Uh, and he continues to do that. He continues to seek God, taking that time away from everything else. Now, us pastors can do stuff like that. I know you guys, your work might not allow it. But what it would be like if you took a Saturday where you're normally watching college football. Or you could do it in the morning. Saturday morning, you plan it a month away. Say, this is going to happen. And you pick a spot. It could be on a mountain. It could be on, next to a creek. It could be in your backyard. Where you're saying, I'm just gonna, I'm, Lord, I'm going to be with you and you alone for this, these two hours. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. And I want, you to, I want you to speak to me through your word. You talk about hitting jumper cables to your spiritual life. You, you build that kind of rhythm into your life. 
The scripture says, I will be found by you when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. I will be found by you when you search for me with all of your heart. So he finally finds Jesus and he says, everyone is looking for you. You're super popular, Jesus. Come back to Capernaum. We could build a mega church. Not not exactly what he says, but come back and we could build something great. And this is not the first, it's not the last time, excuse me, where Simon Peter wants Jesus to camp out and enjoy his earthly fame, where Jesus says, no, we can't stay here. It happened earlier in the gospel, it happened at the Mountain of Transfiguration, where Jesus says, we have to get up and go. See, when God pursues us and we seek him, when our lives are oriented around Jesus, dramatic effect. We have a button, static button back there to wake you up. Not really. But when our lives are centered around the Lord Jesus saying, I want to pursue you until I find you. What, the, what we read in Psalm 27, Oh Lord, you said, seek my face. Your, your face, oh God, I will seek. One thing I've asked the Lord and that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the presence of the Lord. That I may behold the glory of the Lord. What would happen if we were so captivated with the beauty of Jesus? I'm going to tell you what happened to Jesus' life. When we get caught up in saying, I must know him. I can't move until I have him. When you're wrestling God like Jacob at the Jabbok. You remember that? Where Jacob's wrestling the angel of the Lord. And he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. What if we wrestled in prayer like that? Do you know what happened in Colossae? You probably don't remember this part. But there's a man named Epaphras. The very end of the, he shows up a couple times in the book of Colossians. But it says, Paul says to the Colossians that Epaphras wrestled in prayer for them. See, what happens when we get caught up with the beauty of the Lord, when we get caught up in pursuing Christ, then we inevitably say, these people got to know him too. What I have found, others must find too. So Jesus says, verse 38, after 37, everyone's looking for you. Jesus said to him, to them, to, to Simon and this group that have found him, let us go. These people have seen me. These people have heard. But there are others who haven't. There are others who haven't seen. There are others who are still dead in their sin. There are others who haven't known the joy of the Lord. There are others who have never heard the name of Jesus. There are others who don't have the Bible in their language. There are others. And when we get caught up with Jesus, we inevitably, if we're truly caught up with Jesus, we will inevitably get caught up in His mission. To make his name known to the nations, to our neighbors, and to the nations. We see it when Jesus called the first disciples. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You get summoned to the master, and you get summoned to the master's mission. That you, now let let me say a couple things. One, seek the Lord Christ through the means that he has given. Come to God in prayer. And yo, you, can, you can pray. All, all y'all can pray. 
You can, you can pray and God will hear. You don't have to have all the right language. You don't have to know all of the scriptures. You don't have to be able to quote anything. You don't have to add thine and thou and ye and ith blesseth us. You don't have to do any of that. You say, God, this is where I am. He already knows where you are. Come to God in his word. Read the Bible and then read it again. I know it's hard. I know we don't like to read these days for the most part. You can do it. If the Bible that you have right now is too hard to understand, find a Bible that you can understand. There's plenty of faithful translations that you can find that, are, that you can read. If you need help with that, finding a trustworthy translation of Scripture that's easier for you to read, no shame. Give me a call. Give me an email. Show up. I'll, we'll talk that out. Come to God in His Word. Secondly, acknowledge, or that's thirdly. Thirdly, acknowledge uh, that it is not only, you don't only seek individually. You seek corporately. You and Jesus, that is not enough. You are made for community. And you come to church. Come to worship. Come and sing when you, when you know the songs. And come and sing when you don't know the songs. Come and sit through the, the better sermons. And come sit through the worse sermons. Come and get to know people's names. Come on Wednesday nights if you're able and sit at the table with other Christians. And seek God together. You need one another. But when we seek Him, dear ones, and this is where it's so, it's so easy, it's so easy to let this drop. When we seek Him, you are always, what you receive from the Lord, you're always re- receiving it for someone that's behind you. Remember what I just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11? What I receive from the Lord, I give also to you, Paul says. Now, you're not an apostle. You're not receiving revelation from God. But when you get something from the scriptures, you get something in prayer where God speaks to you through his word. Say, God, who needs to hear this? Who needs to know this? Who do I need to pray this over? Who do I, who do I need to write a note with this in it to? Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 Jesus says, I came out preaching and I have to go out preaching. Word, prayer. Word, prayer. Word, prayer. What God has given you is enough for you to know Jesus to live with Him and to live for Him in this world. So let us go. Who needs to hear of the God who saves? Who needs to hear that it's not up to how good they think they are? Who needs to hear that it's Christ and Christ alone? That you can quit fighting your spiritual battles and trust in Jesus. That you can quit trying to earn it what Christ has already given you in Jesus. Who needs to hear that? Who needs to hear that they can pray and they can come to the word? Who needs to hear these things? 
these are, I mean, they're rhetorical in the sense that I don't want you all popcorning, shouting it out, but you have somebody who needs to hear this. And it might be you. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would you? Would you repent of your sins? Just leave that garbage behind and say, God, I have all of this behind me. But I know that you are the friend of sinners. That you died in my place. That you rose from the dead. That you come into my life. That you change me and save me. You could do that. You could be there today with him. But Christian, who else needs to know? Who else needs to hear? That's why we're going out these doors. You might think you're hungry. You got stuff to do. You're going out, Christian. You're going out on the Lord's business. God's work in your life does not end when we say amen. Your work in this world just begins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful gospel of the free grace of God in Christ. What a peace that we have because of Jesus. He himself is our peace. Our peace both with God, that our sins are no longer over us. They have been buried in Christ's grave. And peace with this world that we are now men and women made righteous before God and commissioned and sent into this world. Lord, you have different spheres and pockets for us to be, different workplaces and different homes, different neighborhoods, different rhythms and callings. But at the center of all those callings is Christ. Would you help us to see the people that we need to see? But above that, Lord, would you help us be a pursuing people? A people knowing that one, that Christ has done it. And that Christ is praying for us now. Would we be proactive searchers? Rising early and pursuing Jesus. Rather than passive looking around at the heavens. Lord, there's so many things I want from this sermon, but above all, I want your will. Would you save? Would you rescue? Would you build? Would you send? Holy Spirit, have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.